you might have noticed in these live stream messages that I've had this little table positioned here in front of this camera. And if you're really paying attention, you may have noticed that the scenery kind of changes. You see that we've grabbed different things from our house to kind of arrange this little table in different ways each week. Usually, I think I'm pretty good at telling you why these things are where they are. Today, I want to get to it right off the bat. You see this little cross here in this wooden inset? I'm going to show you very carefully what it is and why it's here. This pops out to form a little wooden cross. And there's a verse of scripture listed there. Not the actual words, but the address, so to speak. It says Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5. And it's a psalm that I actually pray almost every day. It starts with these famous words, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, and don't forget all his benefits. And it talks about how he heals all our diseases, how he redeems us from the pit. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. All these wonderful things to remind us that God is good. Now, it's this unusual shape of a cross because it's meant to be held. Actually, it's kind of meant to be clutched. And this verse is written on there because it reminds us of God's promises as you pray. In this little box here, it says the carry cross. This is a special little trinket for me because I collected this from the home of my great aunt, BG. BG lived in Jacksonville Beach, Florida, and a few years back, she went to be with the Lord. Now, BG never married. BG never had kids. But in so many ways, BG, to me and my brother and my cousins, and to my mom and my aunt, and so many other people in our family, was a stabilizing maternal figure in our lives. And I loved, after she passed and we laid her to rest and um, reflected on her and her life, we were able to take some things from her home as we emptied it out and prepared it to be sold. And this is something that has stuck with me. I like to imagine BG, who is a woman of faith, clutching this, holding on to this, and praying for us. Praying words like Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5. And when I think about Mother's Day, I not only think about my wife, who's a mother to my kids, or my mom, or my mother-in-law, or my grandmas. I also think of women like BG, who weren't actual, by definition, mothers, but that did not make them any less of a nurturing and uh, wonderful presence in our lives. That's why I think for many people, Mother's Day, while special, can be a little bit complicated, but it's also a day that we can honor all kinds of women who have loved the way mothers love best. So I would like to begin now with a Mother's Day blessing for you who are in the comments, for you who are listening, for you who are remembering mothers who have gone on, or for you like my Aunt Beechee 
or a mother in more ways than mere definition. I want to begin our time with this Mother's Day blessing. Would you just take a deep breath, settle in, and let these words reach you and bless you. So we ask for God's blessing to be upon you, for all the mothers who are still with us, and for those who have gone to be with Jesus, we give thanks today. For all those who mothered us, some in addition to our own mothers, some in place of absent mothers, we recognize you and give thanks for you. For all women who have been figures of grace and love in our lives, your example has been meaningful to us. For those mothers who were foster moms, grandparents, guardians, we are grateful for your sacrificial love. For those who don't know the joy of parenthood, whose joy has been taken away by the unfulfilled desire for children, by miscarriage, or by the loss of a child. For those who suffer pain because their parents have gone to be with God, and they are deeply missed today. Lord, please restore joy where there is sorrow and loss. During this time of physical distance, we wish we could be nearer to our mothers and our children to us. So we pray that this weekend brings phone calls and cards, love and light to all you moms, mothers and mothering women. We love you and bless you. Glory be to God for his comfort and care knows no bounds. May we rest in his abundant love which nurtures us from age to age in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. We love you, mom and moms, and all of you who have nurtured and loved our littlest ones and even us. We stand here today because of your strong example. So we want to bless all of our moms. And again, thanks to you guys who nominated your moms. It was a joy to see those comments and those reflections. Uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend this weekend together. But if I may shift gears a little bit, I want to remind you that our message this evening is for all of us who are wanting and waiting. This is a message for all of us who experience in this moment the want, the want to return to normalcy, the want to reconnect in ways that aren't quite wise or safe, who want to get back to work, who want to just get into the next season. It's not just about wanting tonight. We're also talking about wondering. That's our second keyword. This is a message for all of you wondering what the fall is going to look like. School, work, is there a job to come back to? Are we going to make it through this? For all of us who are wondering, where's God? What's he up to? God, when are you going to move and act? Or God, are you going to guide us and lead us when we feel anxious and hurt? And sorrowful. Those of us who are wanting, those of us who are wondering, I need to remind us this evening that we, in this unique situation, are not the first to want and wonder. We are not the first people gathered together, huddled up, and 
experiencing unmet desires or unanswered questions. We're not the first to wonder or want because we're not the first humans. Part of our human experience, for better or for worse, is to sit with ambiguity and struggle and suffering and wondering and wanting. This is why I think the example of some disciples of Jesus who themselves wanted and wondered is a good reminder for us this evening. I want you to join me in Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at a small little snippet as we continue our story. But I need you to hear as you're turning there or swiping there to Acts chapter 1 that Jesus still gathers together a wanting and wondering people so that the Holy Spirit can still empower them and send them to be a witness to everyone everywhere. Our first two key words, wanting and wondering, are going to give way to a third, and that's witnessing. That loaded Christian term that you may be thinking, how in the world can we go on witnessing when we can't even go too far out into the world, much less our own city? That's what I want to challenge us and be reminded of this evening. As a people who are wanting and wondering, and yet still called and empowered to be a witnessing people. Acts chapter 1, we're going to look at the next little passage in our story that continues. Now, if you remember or were with us last week, we continued the story at the beginning of this book. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. It was written by a guy named Luke who also wrote a gospel. And it was all about the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. So Acts is Luke's sequel But it's more than a sequel. It's an ongoing, expansive story in which you are invited to keep writing. With every generation, it's a new opportunity to gather around Jesus as a wanting and wondering people and then to be empowered by the same Spirit of God to go out and keep writing the next chapter as we go with good news to everyone, everywhere. So, Luke's sequel begins with a pause button. It's Easter, Jesus is raised, he's showing up in and amongst dozens of his followers for 40 days. He's encouraging them, strengthening them, he's eating fish with them, talking about the kingdom of God, and they are just trying to soak it all in. But it's a pause button because just before our passage tonight, last week, Jesus said, in a few days... You're going to be baptized, not with water, but with the very Spirit of God. So obviously, their minds start to race and wonder, and this is what they say. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Then they gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power. That word power is the same word where we get the word dynamite, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
spoiler alert, Luke snuck in with the words of Jesus an outline for the ongoing story that begins in God's city, Jerusalem, but yet can't be contained there. It starts to spread like wildfire to the region and even to the ends of the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Now, before we get into our first key word, which is this business of wanting, I got to tell you that the best $25 we've spent during this quarantine was on Amazon.com for a camping hammock. A lot of you out there are rolling your eyes because you either seen us from the street in our hammock in the front yard, or you heard me talk about it for the last month and a half. We spent $25 on a camping hammock that folds up into itself, and you can throw a strap around one tree, a strap around another tree, string that puppy up, and in these beautiful spring days that we've been having in North Texas, it is a wonderful diversion to get out into our front yard and look like crazy people to all of our neighbors. But we love going out in our hammock. So, a couple days ago, it was Thursday evening, I'm sitting on the patio right in front of our house, and I'm finishing up some work, and then Emma and Nora come out the front door, and Emma's holding one end of the hammock in this hand, and Nora's on the other side holding the other end, and I am curious. I had left the straps in the trees, so I watched them quietly walk over to where we put up our hammock. Emma um, snaps in one end, Nora snaps in the other end, and they don't get inside of it, which... I got to tell you, I was a little bit relieved because when they get inside that thing, they treat it like the pirate ride at Six Flags. You know which one I'm talking about? Maybe you have one in the carnival place that you know, that one that swings back and forth. Well, they didn't do that. So I am curious. What's going on? Emma held on tight to one end, the rope end. Nora holding on tight to the other end of the rope. I put down my work. I'm eyeing them. And I see Nora put her hands together like this. <laughs> She's put her hands together like this, and she starts to pray with one eye open watching me. This is what she prays, holding tight to her hammock. She goes, oh, Lord, please give us a strong wind. Oh, Lord, give us a strong wind to carry us up at least to these branches. Oh, Lord, Jesus, please, Jesus. Oh, Lord, Jesus. Amen. Now, two things. Thursday was that windy day here in Dallas, right? The second thing is our parachute was not your grandma's quilted yarn. It's made out of parachute material. So no sooner does Nora pray her little prayer that a gust of wind catches that hammock, sends it up into the trees, and our girls make it about six inches off the ground as they jump and they squeal with laughter, and the thing is whipping up, ooh, crazy, and then they return down, and Nora says, oh, thank you, Lord, <laughs> and lather, rinse, repeat, right? They thought this was so hilarious, the wind gusts, the... The hammock shoots up, they're holding on, they're laughing, they're squealing. At one point, Emma even goes, Woo, baby, that's what I was waiting for, Jesus. <laughs> and we're sitting there like, who are these kids? This is what quarantine can do. So we're watching all this happen, and they keep going, they keep going, they keep going. But here's what's really interesting. 
interesting, right? Nora, who's the prayer in this scenario, her prayers went from these big, extravagant, wordy things to more like desperate shouts. And they started to sound like this. Do your power, Lord. Please, please, Jesus. Again, do your power. And I'm sitting there like, man, that's a far cry from, oh, Lord Jesus, please give us a strong wind to carry us up. Now this girl's saying, do your power, Jesus. And we're sitting there entertained. But the other thing I'm sitting there thinking is this. That's my intro. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Thursday night, watching them like little crazy people with that hammock became my intro for this message. Why? Because I think Nora, in her own silly way, demonstrates what happens on the desperate side of wanting. Okay? Let me explain what I mean as we're talking about wanting. You see, there's a bright side, and it's this optimistic hope. It's this expectation, right? It's kind of what we talk about in the church in the season of Advent. It's this anticipation. There's this magic. There's this mystery that energizes us. We know that Jesus will come to us to rescue us, to shine his light on us, and it energizes us. It's an optimistic expectation. That's the bright side of wanting, right? This is Nora praying those wonderful, delicate prayers, expecting that God is going to send a gust of wind. But wait long enough, want hard enough, and you find yourself on the other end of the spectrum, not with bright, energizing hope, but desperate, deep, agonizing yearning. These are the kinds of prayers that you might be praying today. Do something. Do your power. Bring your wind. Give me something. What's interesting, and what I think we have here in this question that the disciples ask, gathering around Jesus for 40 days, hearing all the things, and yet, and yet, and yet, no Holy Spirit, no clear sense that Jesus actually has become the reigning Lord. All of a sudden, we see they're wanting showing. Now, I think the disciples give us permission to hold not just the bright, energizing expectation, but to hold that desperate wanting and yearning when we say, okay, okay, really, now are you going to do something? Here's why I think it's okay to hold both of these two intentions. To want is to be in touch with the reality that things are not the way they ought to be. This week, I felt really down. I was really struggling. I was on that desperate side of yearning. And I was talking to somebody through text in our church, and I was kind of sharing with them, man, the news is getting me down. The joblessness is getting me down. The pain, the sickness, the brokenness is getting me down. And he's texting me back. He says, man, I'm with you. I get it. He says, it's hard sometimes to believe that Jesus is going to make all things new 
but it's all we got. I'm paraphrasing, but in each text he's saying we still just hold out hope and trust that Jesus is making all things new. Essentially, is Jesus going to finish what he started? I think that kind of yearning that puts you in touch with the reality that things aren't yet the way they ought to be is a good move, provided it sends you to turn your yearning into crying out, to turn your wanting into praying. This is what the disciples are modeling for us. You can join the long line of God's people who bring their anxieties, their wants, their concerns to the feet of God, hoping, begging, he'll send a gust of wind to do something about it. I was telling you this week, man, the anxiety hit me. And what's funny to be, uh, to be a preacher is to hear your own words echoing in your mind and you're invited to practice what you preach, right? So Tuesday, I'm feeling this. I'm yearning. Things are not the way they ought to be. And as I'm feeling this, this, oh, this crushing anxiety, I'm hearing in my head, dude, sit with Jesus, right? Breathe, abide in him, be present to his presence. My buddy texting me, he will make all things new, even if your questions go unanswered. Even if your wants really turn out not to be needs, so they go unmet. Thankfully, God, through another person the next day, shared with me a verse. This guy shared, he said, 1 Peter 5, 7. Would you write that down or look it up? 1 Peter 5, 7. Peter writes, cast all your anxiety onto the Lord because he cares for you. Isn't it something to know that even if he doesn't give you the answer you want, he doesn't give you the when you want, when we turn our yearning into praying, our wanting and worries into praying, we can cast our anxieties on him so that he might be more than strong enough, more than competent enough to shoulder them when we can't alone. I think wanting in its proper direction turns to crying out or in the disciples case it turns to wondering that's our second keyword wondering that's with an o not an a in case you can't hear me because my neighbor's mowing his yard wondering this is what happens with the disciples at the end of luke's first story luke chapter 24 jesus says you are witnesses in acts chapter 1 8 he says you are witnesses but before that, he's got to correct some misunderstandings. You see, in Jesus's gospel, Jesus's mission, not any of his disciples expected or wanted him to be killed, right? Who would? You know what I mean? They didn't get the full story. They didn't want him to be killed. They didn't want to witness this. Then nobody expected that Jesus would be raised, even though he told them. Even though the scriptures gave hints, nobody expected him to be raised on the third day, right? They thought the resurrection was something that happened at the end of time, which is true. But Jesus is the first model. He's the first edition. He's pointing to the end. But they didn't know that. They didn't expect that. So when Jesus starts to talk about the spirit of God, they say, wait, wait, wait. Okay, okay. Yeah, spirit's moving in. I got it. I got it. That makes sense to me. 
There's an Old Testament expectation for Jesus' followers that when the Spirit of God became resident on earth, moved in to his people, to this world, that the kingdom of God was really coming, okay? So when Jesus tells him in verse 5, wait a little bit, the Holy Spirit's going to come in a few days, Acts chapter 1 verse 6 is their question that is not as random as you might think. They hear about the Spirit of God. They've been talking about the kingdom of God. So their question is not that random after all. Their question goes like this in verse 6. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's not random. It's just not quite right. You see, within that wondering is this feeling. Okay, we didn't get the whole crucifixion thing. Okay, we're still trying to catch up with this whole resurrection thing. But now, okay, we're in the car, we're on the road trip, you went this way, that way, and the other. Are we now back on track? Because the Spirit of God thing, I get. The Kingdom of God thing, I get. Okay, now, now, like, is all that craziness behind us? Like, now, is it time? Is it time? This is why it's not a random question, but it's not quite the right question. And we see that in Jesus' answer. He says, you're thinking immediate. I'm thinking gradual. You're thinking right now. Where's the timetable? I'm thinking transformation. You're thinking nationalistic. Israel. I'm thinking global. Their question was not wrong. It just wasn't quite right. Hey, don't we do that too? I talked a couple of weeks ago about this question, why, right? Why God? Why God? Why God? How many of us ever get an answer to that question? I would guess zero. And if there's one or two or three, you are in the minority. It's just not a question the Bible shows us God is want to answer. How about that question, when, when? When? You know what's interesting? In the Gospels, when Jesus, during his earthly ministry, was asked about the timetable, he said, no, 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 that's not my business. I don't know. That's the Father's thing. So if you want to know when the end is going to come, when you want to know when the kingdom is going to come in fullness, it's here now, but when it comes in fullness, don't ask Jesus. Ask an American televangelist. <laughs> Ask those guys in the end time ministries. Now, Jesus talks about signs and seasons and these kinds of things. We see some prophecies, but if Jesus isn't giving us the answer, why should we be climbing all over ourselves thinking that they have it? With all their charts and graphs, Jesus cares very little about the timetable. He cares very much about transforming this world to look more and more like the kingdom that is now and is to come. Do you understand? We live in the in-between time when the kingdom of God has invaded. Heaven is invading earth. We see it in the life and light of the transformation as more and more people say yes to Jesus, are filled with the very Spirit of God, but we live in this in-between time where it's not yet here fully. Worry less about the timetable and go on about our life in the transforming power and presence and awareness that we've got a job to do to witness. That's our third key word, right? They're wanting 
please, please, let this thing happen, led them to wondering, okay, is now the time? Are we back on track? Here, let's go. Let's do this. Finally, Jesus says, no, no, no. It's about witnessing. Now, this is our third and final word here. And I said a moment ago that Luke's first story ended with Jesus calling them witnesses. Luke begins his second story with Jesus calling them witnesses. You know what a witness is, right? You've seen law and order. You've been in a courtroom. You know what's up with witnesses. The technical definition could be this. Someone who establishes facts through verifiable observation. Okay? The witness is somebody who is establishing facts. Yes, this is true. Yes, I saw this. Yes, this is what happened. And they're verified by, yeah, you were there. You were in your right mind. This is what's up. Here's an easy translation for that. Here's what I know because here's what I've seen. So when Jesus calls them witnesses, here's what they know. He is raised from the dead. He's defeated sin and death. And they see it. Paul will say later in 1 Corinthians 15 that loads of people saw it. And they're bearing witness to the Christ encounter that Jesus is raised. He is who he says he is. He is alive. He is on the move, transforming, liberating, freeing people right here, right now. It's fascinating that we still think we can learn our way and think our way into it. I'm not saying that that's not important. Jesus spent 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God before he was ascended. And even 10 days after that, um, before the spirit of God came. But here is the trick. It can't just be about learning and thinking. It has to be about living and living into that empowered reality to live what we're taught. To be a witness is to say, I've seen Jesus, I've staked my life to him, and I'm living in the ongoing reality of his lordship. He's reigning, he's alive, and you're going to tell people about it, and you're going to live like it. School is out at the end of Acts chapter 1. Now, are we going to be empowered to go and bear witness to what we've seen and know? This is where the story is moving. Now, I want you to write down a verse. It's Isaiah 52, 7, okay? Isaiah 52, 7 talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right, or gospel. They're the ones who go out all over to tell the good news that your God reigns. You see, in the first century, and even before that, in Isaiah's day, when a king was enthroned, messengers were sent out to every corner of the kingdom to announce the good news that there's a good king in charge. So, if we're witnesses, here's what I've seen, here's what I know. If they're sent, where is every corner of this kingdom that Jesus presides over? It's not just Jerusalem. It's not just the state, the region, Judea, Samaria. You are messengers sent to every corner of the kingdom, which is the ends of the earth, to pronounce good news. There is a king. He is enthroned. He is bigger than sin and death 
and violence and racism and addiction and illness and virus. He is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth, and I am here to bear witness to what I've seen and what I know, and you are invited to wake up to his present rule and to live accordingly and find in him life that begins now and keeps on, not even death, separate you. To be a witness is to be someone who has encountered the risen Christ and to go and bear witness to what you've seen, heard, and know. In all your wanting, in all your wondering, you're still welcome. You're still empowered. You're still called to go to every I want to end with an illustration. I mean a literal illustration. I'm going to show you. And I want to end with a question. First, the illustration. Where did I put it? Ah, this is a little dry erase board. You see this? I'm no physicist. Do it like this. I don't know if the words are backwards or not, but go with me on it. Ready? Right here I wrote centripetal. Y'all know centripetal force. You know it if you've ever been on one of those spinny rides in a carnival. It's the force you feel when it's moving you in toward the center. When you're taking that hairpin turn in your car, it's the force that tries to pull you to the center. But there's this other force that's working to also move out. The Old Testament hope was one in which Jerusalem, the center of their universe, where God met with his people, the Old Testament hope is this centripetal force that the whole world would see how good God is, that they're drawn in to the center of where he is. This is the Old Testament hope. This, in fact, is what we still see happening in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is drawing people, moving people ever closer to the center. He's drawing you closer to the center of the heart of God. But what happens in the New Testament, and specifically after the resurrection, and Lord willing, next week we'll talk about the ascension, is a new force, and it's the centrifugal force. That's the force that moves out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's a force that's good news for the Gentiles to every one. It's good news to everywhere. We see in Acts 1-8 the rippling movement in Acts chapter 2, Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8, 9, Judea, Samaria. And on and on, moving ever further out. The centrifugal force that you and I are invited to keep going. Now, that's my illustration. I'm no physicist. Please don't tell me it wasn't a good illustration. I thought it was pretty cool. But if that didn't float your boat, let me close with this question. And in all seriousness, it's a question that as a pastor of a church called the Neighborhood Church, man, I've been struggling with. What does it look like to be a witness, to be on mission, to go and announce and be good news in a neighborhood in which I'm really not allowed to move about freely? because of this pandemic? What does it look like to be a witness 
when we can't interact in the same kinds of ways? Would you wrestle with that question with me? Because the Spirit is still empowering, the Spirit is still moving, but what does it look like in a pandemic? I think we start with wanting. You gotta want it. You gotta beg God for it. You gotta be Nora, gripped to the edge of that hammock, waiting for the wind of the Spirit of God to enliven us and move us to wonder. We've got to wonder and question and beg and plead and we need to yearn and we need to look in wonder with creativity of what it looks like to be a witness of what I've seen and what I know. We need to understand that you've got enough. You have the Spirit of God if you said yes to Jesus. So start with those closest to you in your Jerusalem. Start with the ones that are next to you that are in the kitchen. Start with those ones that you're talking to regularly on FaceTime and Google Hangout or on the phone or from six feet apart in a front yard or backyard. Start with those closest to you and tell them if they don't know what you know. Tell them that there is a name bigger than coronavirus. Tell them what you've seen, a God who heals and raises the dead. Tell them about your story of transformation. Tell them about how you can cast your anxieties on him because he cares for us. And then, as God energizes and moves us further and further out in different ways week after week, would you wrestle with me what it looks like in our Judea and Samaria to bring and be good news, even to the ends of the earth? So here's one way I'll start as we end. If you have not said yes to Jesus, if you are here and listening, would you stick with us and understand that I've seen the power and presence of Christ, even though I've not seen him in a physical way. Would you know what I know, that he can be present to you in the deep ways that transcend rational knowing, but it's a deeper kind of knowing. Would you know what I know, that I've seen him liberate people from addiction and bondage. I've seen him transform hardness and bitterness of heart. I've seen him literally raise someone from the dead. I've seen him heal tumors. I've seen him move. And even when he doesn't do it the way I want it or when I want it, I know enough to know that he is good. I know enough to know he's calling you. He is calling you to life and to have life to the full. And he can be with you even when we can't be with each other. So if you need to know more, call out to him, call out to us because the journey is meant to be taken together because this story is still being written with the people are wanting and wondering and witnessing to a power that is here and is yet to come fully. But until then, go in his peace, with his power, with all your questions, with all your desires, confident that he cares for you and he is with us.